how to find the best life. You know, we try to do things in our own, our own way. We, we, we know about the Bible, but we think, you know, an instruction manual, it's kind of boring to read. I remember years ago when my son Aaron was about three years old, we bought a new fandangled computer. This was uh, 21 years ago. And I was kind of new to computers then, and you had three switches to turn it on, and they all had to happen in the right sequence. You'd think I could get that, but I sat down all excited to open that computer up after we had put it out there the day before, and I was trying to hit those three things in sequence, and I couldn't get it. And I thought, well, no, maybe it's this one. And my three-year-old comes up to me and says, Dad, I can do it. I said, no, Aaron, you, I'm thinking you're three. I go, I got it, buddy, I got it. And I tried it again, I can't, he goes, Daddy, I can do it. I said, Aaron, you don't know, this is very complicated. <laughs> he said, Daddy, please. I said, okay, and I was just going to show him, he didn't know, and he goes, it comes up. I looked at him and said, very good, Aaron. <laughs> Isaiah 48, 17 says this, this is what the Lord says, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, I am the Lord, your God, who teaches you what is best for you, who directs you in the way you should go. There really is a way to live that is best and even a proper sequence for getting everything moving in that abundant life. And our creator has written it down in the Bible for us. And the book of Philippians is just a great book to look at to say, Lord, how's it supposed to happen? He tells us, our creator says, this is how life works best. And that's what we're going to talk about in this series. Let's pray before I get into the points here. Father, this is awesome what you're doing. And Lord, uh, we're excited about all the new stuff. That's cool. But we know that the main factor is Jesus. That your Holy Spirit must move for lives to be changed. And we know, Lord, that the word of God shows us the best life. So would you help all of us, Lord, including myself, to yield to the truth that sets us free? I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. By the way, we added 150 chairs. We had to add it this morning. What a great turnout. I'm so glad you're here. Let's talk about the best life now. The first thing, if you want to have the best life you can possibly have on this earth, give your whole life to Jesus. Not just a portion of it. Kenny talked about things in our arms. Those are the things that we want to hold on to and put ahead of the Lord. But give your whole life to Jesus. Don't hold any area back. Philippians 1 says this. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. That word servants, they call themselves servants of Jesus Christ. In some of your versions of the Bible, it's translated slaves, and that almost looks weird. What's that mean? Well, what it means here in this context in the Greek is it's a willing submission because you're so excited about who your master is. And they so loved God and it talked about grace that has come through Jesus Christ. It talks about peace that comes. And what happens is Paul and Timothy and these believers at Philippi are so excited that they willingly yield up their lives to give everything, not just a portion of, but everything to God and that my friends, is when the great adventure really starts as a Christian. That's when he starts to lead you and guide you and when life takes on more meaning than you ever imagined it could. One of the themes in this book is joy. It shows up 19 times in the book of Philippians. And what we're talking about today produces this joy. 
there's that reoccurring emphasis over and over. As we'll go through this, you'll see it. And Paul and Timothy have this thing in common with the church at Philippi. They've all received this grace. They're all following Jesus with their lives, and they all feel great about it. Listen to these scriptures, and you can see what they were getting into, what they understood, what they had received. John 15 says this, Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. They knew that Jesus had died for them. They realized that he had been risen and, and, and he was at the right hand of the Father and they realized that he did it for them that they might be forgiven and restored to fellowship with God the Father. Ephesians 1 says this in verse 6, so we praise God for the glorious grace he has poured out on us who belong to his dear son. You see what's in, Paul wrote that by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit as well in another book, but he understands it glorious grace. We belong to the Son. And listen to these things about God. These are just absolutely true. And when you understand it, your life does take on joy. He's so rich in kindness, it says, and grace. And he purchased our freedom. We didn't realize it, but we were dead to our sins, lost for eternity, unless Jesus comes and paves the way for us to be forgiven. So he purchased our freedom. It was the blood of his Son, and and it forgave our sins. They get it. They, they're understanding all these things. That's why they can give themselves completely to him. And John 3.16 is a verse that sums it up for anybody who wonders how it all works. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Paul and Timothy, this new church at Philippi, they get it. They understand what Jesus has done for them and they have joy in their hearts. There are some people who try to make it through life, even try to make it to heaven by doing good works. <clears throat> but you can't get there that way. No matter how good you are, no matter what you do well, the only, we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And the only way we can be forgiven is to ask Jesus into our hearts, and then everything we've ever done wrong is covered by the grace of God. His mercy is applied to our lives, and we are forgiven. But we're into self-reliance in America, aren't we? We're into doing it our own. I can, I can produce the best results for my own life, so I'll, I'll make things better for my family and for me. And we use our own efforts so much. The grace of God is hard for Americans to understand because it's a free gift. And we're into earning things. I read a story this week, uh, according to Reuters, this happened in 1994 in London. Uh, an accountant took something to the extreme. He was 63 years old and he needed gallbladder surgery uh, or uh, bladder surgery, but he couldn't overcome his fear of doctors and hospitals. So he self-reliantly did what he thought needed to be done. He tried to perform, perform surgery on himself. And tragically, after his own surgery, he got an infection from that surgery and later died. And the coroner said, unfortunately, his drastic remedy went wrong. A simple operation would have solved the problem. And you know, in life, we can be like that guy who didn't trust doctors, so he did it himself. It didn't work out for him. But it's even more true when we won't trust God. We won't yield our lives completely up to God, and we try to do it on our own. Our self-reliance will just, we'll realize in the end, we just destroy ourselves. We hurt ourselves. It's a free gift of God. Ephesians 2.8 says this, God saved you 
by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we've done. So no one of us can boast about it. And this is why we can give our whole lives to Jesus because he's full of grace. He has mercy for us because heaven's our home because he shows us the best life. So we yield up everything. We just let go of those things. There's, there's the, the King James says that so easily beset us. That's kind of a poetic way to say it. Those things that keep us from moving forward and bring us down instead of allowing us to move forward. And Jesus says, trust me with your whole life. And these people got it. And the Lord was blessing them. Second thought that I see in this first chapter in Philippians is this. Be thankful to God for what he's given you. Most of the people here have found Jesus. Some of you are wondering, do I want to do this? Do I want to take Jesus? And I, I respect that you take a good long look at it. I really do. But if you've been in Jesus for a while, what I want you to know is God wants you to be thankful for what he's given you already. And we have a tendency uh, to be resentful in life and feel like God should have done more for us and it never helps us. Here's what it says in Philippians 1.3. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Now what's so remarkable about this guy being so thankful is he's writing this book from a prison cell. And he has this joy in his heart and this thankfulness in his heart. We just talked about the grace of God that we've received and that must have been the primary factor for him. Knowing what has happened for eternity and knowing that his life is a great adventure now that he's in Christ. That grace that was applied to his life must have been the number one reason for him to be thankful and it needs to be the number one reason for us to be thankful. Thankful for what he's done. But there's more that God has given us. That's the best, but there's even more that he's given us that we just take for granted and we have ungrateful and dissatisfied hearts. I um, read about this devotional book, Springs in the Valley, and it tells of a man who found a barn where Satan kept his seeds ready to be sown into human hearts. And he found that the seeds of discouragement were more numerous um, than the others, and he learned that those seeds couldn't be made to grow um, almost anywhere, or rather could be made to grow almost anywhere. And so he questioned Satan, and, and Satan reluctantly admitted that there was one place in which he could uh, never get them to thrive, those seeds of discouragement. And where is that, asked the man, and Satan replied, in the heart of a grateful person. The flip side of that is if we're not grateful and we don't have thankful hearts, we're opening ourselves up to discouragement. We're really in danger when we start to say things like, no one appreciates me and all these bad things have happened to me. But if we stopped and started counting all the good things that have happened in our life, because there's a ton of them, it'll change your life if you wake up every day starting to say, God, thank you for this and that, the little things, the big things. Paul's in prison and thinking and writing to others with thankfulness. Colossians 3.15 says, and let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts 
For as members of one body, you are called to live in peace, and listen to this, and always be thankful. Even in the worst of times, you know, we lost someone that we loved dearly this past year. My mother-in-law, Jane. And uh, it's hard to be thankful in those moments when, you know, when death takes someone away from you and you lose their presence here. But as I thought about that this week and thought about some of you who've had terrible things happen in your life, let me tell you what I'm thankful for. I'm thankful that I got to know Jane Schmidt. I'm thankful for all those years that she poured into my life and blessed me and the love of God that came through her and ministered to me in my life. I'm thankful that God gave us those years and she followed God and God came into our hearts in a greater way because of her. And even though we lost her, I'm thankful to God for her because she was an amazing lady. Joy is spoken of 19 times in this book. And I see some commentators saying that's the theme of the book. But I want to I beg to differ. It's, it's kind of the theme. Jesus Christ is mentioned 40 times in this book. And unless you put Jesus in the quotient, the joy thing means nothing. So when you take Jesus, he brings joy. And Paul's showing us that joy evidently isn't dependent upon circumstances. Because he can be in prison and have joy and be thankful. What? Because it's not dependent on circumstances. He's thinking about this church that he helped birth 10 years before. He's thinking about the way it's thriving and it's going and he has all this joy and all this gratefulness. He's thinking about the people who just came to visit him and give him gifts. And he loves that God has given him the fellowship with these believers. P.J. O'Rourke is now living with the joys of raising a teenage daughter. And she said this, Recently, while my daughter was complaining about life not being fair, I said to her, you're cute, that's not fair. You're smart, that's not fair. Your family's well off, that's not fair. You were born in the United States, that's not fair. Darling, you better get down on your knees and pray that things don't start getting fair for you. (laughs) We need to stop complaining. It's, it's the place where the seeds of discouragement can be planted. And we need to thank him for all the good things. Our joy isn't dependent on our circumstances. In Philippi, they were a joyful church. And God says to us, I want you to have thankful hearts all the time. Ephesians 5.20 says this, and give thanks for everything. Well, how can you give thanks for everything? Well, the way I just framed it with my mother-in-law. I really am truly grateful for my heart. And, and that's a hard thing, but I, gave, I give thanks for what the Lord had done there. To God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now here's a question for us. This is a growth question for all of us. Is thankfulness to God a part of my prayer time? When I pray, do I thank him for what he's done? Thankfulness in prayer is a mark of a mature Christian. He's thankful for what these people have accomplished in Jesus Christ. He mentions uh, in this passage uh, that they're partners in the gospel, that he thanks God because they're partners in the gospel from the first day until now. Well, I tell you, I'm kind of feeling that myself today after we've been working towards this day, the new day at Horizon 2.10, the dawning of a new era. And if you would, uh, work with me for a moment. Take out this uh, insert 
that says 2.10, the new horizon. While you're doing that, let me tell you why I'm thankful. I'm thankful that first we thought we needed $120,000 to accomplish all these things. And by the way, there's 10 physical changes in facility and there's 10 ministry things that happen in these 20, these 20 things. And all of them are just wonderful things that the Lord's doing among us. But we thought we needed 120000 then it went to 135000 and now we've had come in or pledged $142,000 to cover this. I'm thankful to the Lord for you for doing that. Can we thank the Lord? Do you mind? <clears throat> Praise God. Thank you for giving so generously, and, and we're seeing some results even today already. And, and look at this. I, I just wanted to put names down. We, we don't do this a lot, but so many people work so hard. I want to tell you, your pastors have been working incredibly hard. I'm so proud of these guys. They put in 70 and 80 hour weeks just recently. I don't want them doing that on a regular basis, but I want you to know they're going above. They have gone above and beyond the call of duty, and, and you should be so thankful to the Lord for these pastors around here that love you and invest that way. But I want you to know all the pastors, we're, we're tremendously thankful for you. I mean, look at those names on there. This set was built by people in our church. And, and we're, we're so grateful that they dedicated the time. And you can see all the names on there that, that really went after it. And I just want to stop and say the same thing Paul said to the church at Philippi. I thank my God every time I think of you. I can't believe that you're so loving, so generous, and so giving I'm so grateful that you love people who come through those doors. I'm so grateful that when you go home, you care about your neighbor. You care about your coworker. I love you for that, and I believe God loves you for that. And I want to take a moment as well to say thank you. And then the last point that I want to share this morning that I see in this passage is we need to trust that God is good and his will is best for us. God is good and his will is best. I think one of the things that uh, set me back in life, you know, when I make mistakes, it's often because God's not doing what I think he should do. <laughs> and I, I get things backwards when I think that way because then I put myself in the place of leading God. <laughs> and the truth is, I should be in the place of always letting God lead me. And it causes some discouragement when we're not where we think we should be or when it didn't happen as fast as we thought it should, or the person that we wanted to marry, uh, we didn't end up marrying. And I think of that song, some of God's best gifts are unanswered prayers. Uh, you can see later in life sometimes what God is doing. But we need to trust him. We need to trust him with our lives. Philippians 1.6, this is one of the great scriptures in the Bible, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. That's cool, that verse on several fronts. I love that verse. The first front that I see is I, I, I'm not perfect and that can discourage me at times. I make mistakes. But this verse tells me that even though I make mistakes, Jesus is promising me that if I'll just stay close to him and stay in his hand, that he'll help me get there. Just like you help your kids grow. Just like they stumble and fall and make mistakes, but you love them. Jesus is saying to me, and he's saying to you, don't get so hard on yourself. Keep your hand in mine and I'll help you get there. I love you. I'm for you. I will help you. And I love that. I love that thought. 
that, that even though I make mistakes, he still loves me. He still loves you. And I may stumble and fall, but I'm, I can stumble and fall less, and I can grow more and more to be like him as I move forward in life. That's a great promise. But another thing I see in this scripture, another angle of it that's true as well, is, and it's awesome, is that we can know that he has a plan for our lives and will guide us along the way in that plan. So he doesn't just help me mature and grow in him, but he's got somewhere he's taking me. And I can be confident in this that he will carry it on to completion if I'll just stay with him. And that, that's the factor, isn't it? That we keep our hand in his and walk with him. That we let him lead us to where he wants us to go. Our lives are predetermined or pre-planned by God, the, the ultimate thing that he'd like to do in our lives. It says that in the book, book of Ephesians that he, he has planned things for you to do. And that's just an awesome promise to know that he'll guide us there. And we have to trust in his timing, right? Sometimes we have a general sense of the big thing, but we have no sense of what needs to happen in our hearts to get to the big thing. And he's more interested in, you, in building you than he is you building something else. And as we let him build us, as we let him shape us, as we take on his characteristics of love, as we show people his love, he promotes us and he helps us. But he needs us to grow. He needs us to get there. You don't take an employee who shows up in the first year and put them in senior management in a company. You don't uh, let a business, you don't see a business in its first year just exploding to tremendous health uh, because longevity is what determines health. Starting well isn't really the key, it's, it's, it's the duration that's the key. And God wants us to know that he does have plans for us, he does have plans for you, and he'll lead us there. And so if we're going to trust him this way, trust that he's good and trust that, he, that his will is best for you, see we have a will, and I, I believe in getting a dream, but I just don't believe it's any dream for your life. <clears throat> I believe it's God's dream for your life. So it's not so much that you create it in your mind as it is that you will discover it as you follow him. What's his dream for you? What's his plan for you? I'll tell you this, it's awesome. It is absolutely awesome what he's planned for you. But we resist and we say, here's what I want to do. I'm not even saying you're on the wrong track. You might be on the right track. I'm just saying make sure that you keep yourself yielded and pliable in his hands. Make sure that your steps are not set in any one direction, that you're ready to go. You know, in sports, um, there, there is a universal athletic position in sports. And really, it's one foot a little behind. You can't get on your heels. You're on your toes, and you're ready to move back or forward. It's here. And you'll see defensive backs in football. You'll see uh, baseball players in the infield in that position. You'll see... Um, basketball players working defensively that way. And when you're in that ready position, you're ready to go either way or, or forward and you can move quickly. And I'm just saying, would you keep your life in a ready position for God? Would you let him dictate by the, the direction and the circumstances what he wants you to do? I wanted to be a sports newscaster when I was in college. And I worked towards that. And by the end of my junior year at George Fox, I finally yielded to his plan and joy kicked into my life. It's not something I wanted. But what I discovered was when I follow him, it's more fun, it's more exciting, it's more adventurous. It's a wonderful trip, man, to just say, God, you show and I'll go. 
here's why you can do that. Isaiah 63, verse 7. I will tell of the Lord's unfailing love. I will praise the Lord for all he has done. I will rejoice in his goodness. Now think of that, his unfailing love. All he's done. He's good. His great goodness to Israel, which he has granted according to his mercy and love. Mercy, love, goodness, unfailing. That's why we can trust him. God doesn't make mistakes. You're not a mistake. Perhaps here today is someone who's even thought about taking their life this week. And here's what I want you to know. That God in heaven is looking down to you and saying, I created you for a purpose. I love you. Don't take your life. Let me give you life. And when you take on Jesus with all your heart, when you start to say, I'm going to follow you, Lord, and I can trust you, you'll see that the abundance that he's planned for you will soon kick in. Anytime you hear a voice that says, take your life, it's the enemy. Even your own self-preservation, that characteristic that God put in you inherently, innately, doesn't say hurt yourself. It's the enemy speaking. Don't receive that thought. The Bible says that we should reject every thought that sets itself up against the truth of Christ. And here's what Jesus said, I've come to give you life and give it to you abundantly. Maybe you're not quite that sad, but you're wondering, where's my life going? Just put yourself in his hand. Don't make, understand that happiness isn't the destination for the believer. It's, it's the journey. That we can be happy, we can have joy in every moment as we move forward. Because we're trusting him. And we're following him. There are times we don't want to trust him. Things happen that we can't make sense of. And we try to play God and say, this is the direction I want to go. We tell him, God, you made a mistake. You shouldn't have let that happen. Reminds me of a story I heard about a mom. They, they, they had their dog that passed away that week and she didn't know how to tell her little girl. and So she brought her in one day and got enough courage and said to her, honey, um, Fido died this week and God took him to heaven. And the little girl said, what does God want a dead dog for? <laughs> you know, we try all of our little explanations and, and we, we try to tell God, you know, this is the way it should be spoken and you didn't do quite right on that and you made him, God doesn't make mistakes. We make mistakes. We can cause some of our own trouble at times. But even then, His grace is applied to our lives. Saying, come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. I'll give you direction. We can trust Him. We make things worse when we infuse our own read into everything. We need to trust that God knows what He's doing in our lives. And that He's good. There's something particularly interesting about this to me as I look at that verse in Philippians 1, being confident of this, that he who began a good work will carry it on to completion. This thought that we can trust him. Um, Paul's in prison now, but do you, do you remember um, in Acts 16, he's in, in the area of Troas, and uh, he's headed somewhere. He's got some direction he's going with his life and his ministry, and he's doing it all for God. And the Bible says in Acts 16 that God forbid him to go over there. 
And then it says that that night, uh, a man showed up, probably an angel was the, the, the correct interpretation, to say, don't go that way, go over to Macedonia. And he was moved by God, he was headed one direction, but moved by God to go another. That happens in life sometimes. When we've chosen our path and, you know, good can sometimes be the enemy of best. And God said, I, you got good motives, but what's best is I want you in Macedonia. This church in Philippi is, is in the region of Macedonia. Ten years previously, he said, don't go that way, go this way. And the joy you're seeing in Paul's heart is because now he's in the area that God told him to go. And even though he's in prison, he's seen an amazing church rise up. And man, you talk about a great relationship with their pastor. This church loved their pastor. They were coming to give him encouragement. They were praying for him. They were following the teaching and God's work was happening mightily in Philippi. So he was going to go one direction. God told him to go another and then this amazing fruit came about and we read about it in the book of Philippians. Psalm 37, 23 says this, the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord and he delights in his way. God's path's the best path. You say, how do you know? Listen, it's not really that hard. Just stay in the word, love him, be in a church where God's love and the truth is being spoken and seek him daily and you'll find that he loves you so much, he'll just show you. He'll just direct your path because you have that heart to follow him. The steps of a righteous person are ordered of the Lord. He'll get you there. You put your hand in his and he'll help you. I remember years ago, <clears throat> I was a youth pastor here. The church was called Grace Community Church. On the, we were on the Sagart campus in those days. And I was down because of the situation at the church. Um, we had just lost our pastor. Um, it, it, there were, it was discouraging days. The doors were almost closed in those days. Uh, the, the district had come in to, uh, of the Assemblies of God to talk about whether we would close the doors and shut it all down. We were behind financially. And there was great discouragement in the church. And I, I was a youth pastor there. And it didn't feel great to be in the church in those days. And it didn't feel great to be on staff either. And I remember him telling the Lord that I wanted to go. And I asked him to open a door. And I remember calling a, a guy at a large church that's uh, here in the state. And he had a youth pastor opening. And he said, yeah, we, you know, we're going to fill it with someone else. No, thank you. And I was checking to see if I could you know, maybe move into that position. And when I hung up the phone from that guy, I'm, I'm kind of embarrassed to admit it, but you probably have found yourself in places like this too. You know, when you're praying, God, move me, you don't like your circumstances, right? Um, but I did have a heart to be yielded in his will and in his plan. And I hung up that phone and I just bawled. I just cried. I think I was close to depression even. Everything was so bad. Well, in the next couple weeks, the Lord picked me up dusted me off and in that year from the time I wanted to go I only stayed one more year as youth pastor and then I went away for seven years and came back as a senior pastor but in that year I was here we had a major revival in the youth group it became one of the things that really encouraged the church because they moved out we, we, we met on Sunday nights in those days and the, the adults moved out of the sanctuary on Sundays because so many kids were coming in that we just took over the sanctuary I think in a three-month period, we saw 42 kids give their hearts to Jesus. And um, 
Here's the deal. I was ready to go a year before. I'm so glad that God is loving enough to keep me from doing the wrong thing. And we had so much success in those days. God was up to something even bigger than I know, than I knew. He was putting favor in the hearts of the people for me in those days. And they would bring me back as their senior pastor someday because they remembered some good times. And honestly, the Lord did it all. The Lord and some amazing people. Some of the elders in this church were on my youth team in those days. That's how old I really am. I know I look young, but I'm really older than that. I'm just grateful for a God you can trust. I'm just grateful that even when I feel like moving, uh, that he'll show me there's a better way and it's my way. Proverbs 3.5 says this, and I want to close with the scripture today. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Now this is for you. Just, I'm reading this, and, and you, maybe you can put um, your name just before you. Insert your name. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do, and he will show you which path to take. Don't be impressed with your own wisdom. Instead, fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Then you will have healing for your body and strength for your bones. Well, I've seen that happen for me over and over again. Human emotions can be up and down, but when you trust in the Lord, he always pulls you through. He cares about you so much, he wants to show you the right way more than you want to know it. He loves you. When we find ourselves trusting God and being happy in the center of his will, that is the time that we can find ourselves living the best life. 